just a brief testimony about a little adventure that we went on. We took with our grandson. We went down to Sea Life Center for his birthday. Decided to take our 74 Volkswagen van. It made it there. However, when we hit Summit, where there's still snow, it's still cold, still sputtering snow coming down, uh, the heat went out. So uh, we made the rest of the trip back with my wife wrapped in coats and blankets. And Personally, I was just at the right temperature. But uh, we'd like to take up the offering as a part of our worship. We believe that... It, You know, when we give of our substance, you know, something we've worked hard for, uh, something we've given time for, we've exchanged time out of our lives. And then when we honor God with that, he uh, he blesses that in in ways that are really hard to explain. Um, He just causes things to transform in our lives. And one of the ways I believe that happens is Currency is a part of this world, therefore subject to the God of this world. But when we honor God and we say that all that we have belongs to him, somehow he lifts that curse and it brings a a blessing about in our lives. So with that, I'm going to pass these baskets around. I'd like to make a few announcements. we have a women's Bible study this Tuesday. No women's Bible study this Tuesday. When I finally remember the announcement, it's, it's over. No women's Bible. My announcement is no women's Bible study this Tuesday. Um, however, we are planning on a, uh, uh, a goal setting and uh, team building meeting coming up, not this week, but the following week. And uh, so I'll make a further announcement about that, and you can find it on Facebook. Our, uh, our sister Larissa is doing fantastic with the Facebook and, and website and things. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, she really is on top of it for, for all the uh, people that can keep up with the social media. You know, we've been speaking for a few weeks, and before we dismiss the kids, I want to do this part of of the service. We've been speaking about women in the Scripture and an important role that women in the Scripture have played throughout history. And as a part of that, I've I've asked, uh, like last week, our sister Liz shared with us uh, about different challenges she's faced in her life and and how she sees the hand of God with her in all of that and how he uh, walked with her through that. And this morning, we're having our sister Olga. You want to come up, Olga? And uh, she's going to share with us um, some of her testimony. Everybody has a story. God is writing a story of your life. It says that uh, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He says, our lives are a story being written and then read by all men. So you have a story and what your story is being written and how you live that story out Monday through Saturday is probably 
one of the best examples of the gospel to someone. Your story to someone will be the best example of the gospel they may get in their life. So with that in mind, we're going to hear from our sister Olga. She's a little nervous with the mic. She does not want to speak with the mic. I want to share just a little, a little bit about my life and what's been happening in my life. There were different moments in my life. And there were very difficult moments. And everything was good. But somehow, with God's help, you know, miraculously, the problems resolved themselves. So I got married, and for a long while, uh, for a long time, I did not have children. And very often, you know, I would, you know, cry out to God and I would ask Him questions. And I've been really wanting a child. And so for the longest time, so I prayed sincerely. And then in 10 years after my marriage, I, uh, my son Gosha was born in Georgia. <laughs> uh, I cannot expo- express the amount of joy that I experienced. You know, we enjoyed. We were so very thankful with our husband, you know, for this wonderful gift, and it brought us so much joy. When Georgie was three and a half years old, what happened was uh, there was an accident, uh, and my husband uh, died in a, a motorcycle accident instantly. It was a huge, yeah, huge tragedy. Uh, I felt like my life just stopped. You know, I really did not want to live. I mean, I had no, didn't feel like the reason to live. It wasn't that it was anger or like bitterness, but какое-то было чувство такой несправедливости. Вот почему, почему именно в этот момент, когда такое счастье ребенок долгое время не было тут родился и вдруг теряем отца кормильца остаемся на съемном жилье and it felt you know pretty much unjust because I, I just did not understand how, why would this happen because we just have our child you know our joy we're filled with joy so much going on in our life we're excited you know and then next thing you know we're losing you know uh, breadwinner of the house, a person that you know provides for the house. Not only that, and is the main figure in in our house. It just it felt like what happened was I'm dropping the relationship uh, with God. I mean, I I'm not just gonna have anything to do with it anymore because I just lost hope and I'm like, well, um, um, 
It's just it's 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 hard to imagine you know life with that. And so she 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 thought my relationship with God is gonna just taper off and I have nothing to do with them anymore. Хотя так все сложилось, и работу быстро нашла, и Георгия в детский садик устроила. Конечно, я понимала, что это все с помощью you know, there's something in the back. So in the back of me, I kind of, I had a feeling like that God is behind it somehow, but I never, but I lost all faith in him. It's very hard to put into words because I kind of like knew he was doing something, but in reality, uh, I, I stopped going to church. I, I lost my, my faith in God. Потом проходило время, боль утихала, и через какой-то ну, промежуток времени, года полтора-два, появился Саша. Ну как появился? So, уже мы на то, до этого общались, но so, более уже... As time went on and a little bit, you know, um, and things got a little bit more easier with dealing with pain of the loss of my husband. Um, uh, you know, Alex, fond of my brother, he, he appeared in the picture into her life. И когда уже он предложил выйти мне замуж за него, я подумала, человек из верующей семьи. You know, and I thought, you know, when he later on asked me to, you know, to marry him, um, I thought, well, a person, you know, from a very believing family, you know, a very Christian family. Какой хитрый этот Бог. Так все сделал, что... God is so sneaky. <laughs> She's like, that's the only... Somehow, like, he would find this lost sheep and find a way, tricky, through tricky ways, and bring it through Alex, you know, to back into the church and back to God, relationship with God. Я очень рада... I'm so honored and, and happy and thankful to for the family that I have here and you know and to you know to my new family and my church family here and to Pastor Mark and to Larissa and the relationships that I've established. I'm blessed beyond measure. So it's, uh, I try to get the shortest possible version of it. Um, so I hope you excuse. Uh, my <laughs> period time frame. So, so here I am now. I pretty much I ended up in church. So here, here's how my story goes. Amen. Praise God. Yeah, let's uh, let's just love on her a little bit more. You know, what a powerful, I, I love the part that says God is sneaky. You know, he is, isn't he? He, uh, he knows how to, uh, what, what somebody call him? Jehovah sneaky. He knows how to sneak into our lives and stay there, even though we don't want to. Uh, 
acknowledge it maybe for some reason during some season. So, amen. Thanks again, Olga, for sharing with us that story. Your story is being written. And if you're here today and you're breathing, it's not finished. So that's important to know that God is writing your story. Without, uh, do we have Sunday school? All right, let's dismiss the kids for Sunday school at this point in time. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 2 tells us that uh, our lives are a letter being written and read by all men. So again, that's important how you live Monday through Saturday. And, uh, you know, different ones of us have a different way of, of interpreting that. But the real answer in that is having a faith and a belief in your God. So today, we want to draw from uh, the Old Testament again. We're going to draw from the lives of three women, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, known as Oprah today. (laughs) Not really. This is found in the book of Ruth. So turn in your uh, Bibles to the book of Ruth which is right after Judges. Women are so important throughout Scripture and so important in, uh, in the writing of, of God's plan for the earth. Uh, as we shared last week, uh, that God created man... And woman, and he said of each, it is good. And, uh, you know, if women were not here, uh, well, 50% of the population would be gone, and I think it would be very boring and dull, uh, because God has specifically placed something in women that brings a, a beauty aspect of his being into the world. And so with that in mind, we're going to continue with the theme of, of uh, women. And in Ruth chapter 1, begin with verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. And his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Now, here's the picture. There's a famine in the land of Israel. From Bethlehem area and a famine hit. And this man, Elimelech decides to uh, move his family because he's heard that things are still going well in the land of Moab. Now, you got to understand that Moab, we'll find this out a little bit later, but Moab is very much an enemy to Israel. 
So he's fleeing a famine. And his decision to leave his home country and flee the famine for a better life uh, is a is a long-lasting decision for a very temporary circumstance. Now picture that. Famines don't last forever. Tough circumstances in your life do not last forever. Trials in your life do not last forever. But so often we make decisions during those things that have a long-lasting effect. And those decisions oftentimes uh, have a great impact on others. In this situation, Elimelech made a choice. He made a decision to leave his homeland, go into the land of Moab, and he took with him his wife and two sons. It says he took them with him. I don't think they had a whole lot of say in the decision. But let's read on. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. Now they married into leaving their, their faith of Jehovah God, one God, into a land and into a mixed marriage of of a a people who believed in many gods. And uh, one married a woman named Orpah and the other woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons, Oh, without her sons or her husband. I I need to get my bifocals adjusted. Um, So now, this decision that her husband made for a temporary circumstance in their life, a famine, caused him to make a decision to move his entire family. First thing that happens is he dies, and now ten years later, both the sons die, and it leaves Naomi now alone without uh, a husband and in a foreign country and without her sons. Her sons have died. And that's a bad situation for a woman to be in. It's a lot different than it is today where we have a lot of benefits and social programs because of, I believe, Christian influence over the history of our nation. We have a lot of very good programs that help people in times of need. Well, that wasn't the case in this this day and age. And so she finds herself alone. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed the people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Now, before we leave the land of Moab, let's take a look at how Moab got started. Moab got started because of a a, a decision someone made. 
Moab got started because um, Lot and Abraham had a parting of the ways. They said, we can no longer live in the same land together. You choose. And Lot chose and uh, stayed in the land. We read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of you are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's judgment came upon that city for its being so evil. And uh, uh, they were destroyed. But Lot and his family escaped. However, his wife did not. And so now we find Lot in a cave with his two daughters. As far as they know, they're the only people left. I mean, their whole world has vanished before them. And, and their whole, the, the, all that they've known has ceased to exist. And they're in this cave and they think possibly they're the only people that remained. And rather than to um, allow their story to be written by God... And that's what the point I want to make. Allow your story to be written by God. They decided to take and 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 write their own story. They decided to take it in their own hand. And they say, let's get our father drunk and sleep with him so that we can have offspring. And so they do that. They take matters into their own hand. They sleep with their father. They both uh, conceive and uh, give, uh, give birth to sons. And the oldest gave birth to Moab, which became a great and strong nation. The other one gave uh, a birth to a son named Benami. And both of them became very involved at the time that Israel was invaded by Nebuchadnezzar and taken into slavery, they helped uh, Nebuchadnezzar capture Jerusalem. So they actually became enemies to the plan of God and to God's people. All because of a decision made earlier because someone was not trusting in the process that God was working in their life. As you live out your story, never underestimate the power of the ripple effects on your decisions. Very powerful, that ripple effect of what it, what it might do, how it might affect your, your family, your church, your friends. All of those things have a tremendous ripple effect when making your decisions and never leave God out of the equation. That is the vital point here. Now, sometimes, you know, we don't know God. There was a point in time in my life where I did not know God. And... uh, I decided to uh, marry my wife. But she knew God. And so she had God in our equation. 
And uh, fortunately, because God was in the equation, apparently he blinded her eyes to a lot about me. She thought I was just a good guy. So God is at work, and we'll see that he is at work even in decisions that are made where we leave him out of the equation. In this picture with Elimelech, he actually got the best end of the deal in his decision. He died and didn't have to deal with the the fallout. He died and didn't have to deal with the circumstances. But others did. So, keep in mind that when you are in a time of trial, when you are in a dark time, when you are in a difficult time, when you are in a situation and a circumstance and you want to flee that situation and flee that circumstance thinking that it's going to be better, do not do it leaving God out of the equation, leaving God out of the decision. Because all circumstances are temporary. But not all decisions. And they have lifelong effects. There used to be, one of the things our grandson wanted for his birthday was a Polaroid camera. Now, for those of you millennials in the room, a Polaroid camera uses what's called film. It takes a while to process, even though it was called an instant camera in its day. And uh, in the process of, I don't know how many of you have ever had a Polaroid camera. How many have ever had a Polaroid camera? Oh, even our millennials. Good. They're coming back. I, I think they're retro for them. Uh, anyway, one of the things is that after you take the picture, the little it comes out, and it's just gray. You cannot tell what that picture is going to be. And to a novice, now, from a professional standpoint, not me, someone who told me this, it does not speed up the process to shake it. But we do it anyway. We shake that thinking that it's going to dry out and speed up the process in developing that picture. But uh, um, it doesn't. It still has to go through the process for the picture to make itself known. In our circumstances, we still have to go through the process for the picture to make itself known. And it takes a process. It's called a developing process. I, I read an account on Facebook this guy was on vacation with his family and he saw a commotion going on somewhere in the northeast. He saw a commotion going on and he saw that the commotion was around uh, a movie actor, Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick. Anybody remember Ferris Bueller? And he wanted to get a picture of his daughter with Ferris Bueller. And she was only about six but so he, he said, could I get a picture of you with my daughter? 
And, uh, and he said, sure. So he takes this picture, and in it, as he's getting ready to try to take this picture, there's another man kind of standing in this shot. And he says, could you move, sir? Could you move further? Could you move further? And the guy couldn't get out of the shot because he was against a, a building, a wall. And uh, so he takes the shot. This guy's in the picture, so he crops him out. He decides to deal with his own idea of what to make of his circumstances. He crops this guy out of the picture, and he posts it on Facebook. And somebody says, why did you crop the picture? Broaden it out and let people see who else is in the picture that you wanted removed. And so he did that, and the other guy was Jerry Spring, uh, Stein, Seinfeld. So here he was with Matthew Broderick in the picture, who's made a movie or two. And here is a guy who's made an empire. And he wants him out of the picture. You see, when we take the process into our own hands, we really limit what God has planned for us. When we run from our circumstance, we can really change the overall picture of what God has for us. It's important to allow God to write within us our story and not crop the story to fit our paradigm. Does that make sense to you? All right, here we go. So where'd we leave off? Um, her two sons are now dead. Verse 6. Excuse me. Get very thirsty taking uh, Claritin. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Now, that's about a a 50-mile trek, but they plan on 10 days. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? Now, you got to understand, in this concept, they had a lot of birthright. They owned a lot of property that in Israel would always fall back to the family. And even though she had lost this at this point in time, 
there, there would be a chance for redemption in it. But not without them marrying back into either a brother or a first cousin or something like that that would bring back that redemption of that land and that inheritance to these daughters-in-law. So she's saying, you know, there's nothing for you. There's nothing for you. I'm too old. You're too young. There's nothing for you. Now, she says, no, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. This is an interesting statement. The Lord himself has raised his face against me, uh, his fist against me. Uh, how often do we blame God because of the situation our decisions got us into? It's so interesting to me how quickly we can all of a sudden feel that it's God who brought our life into a bad circumstance. I, I was in business for years. Uh, my wife is my chief counselor. She's been given to me by God to be wisdom to me, to keep me from continuing to drive my car into a mud hole and be stuck there, which is fun. But after a while, you got to get a tow truck to get you out. And she's, she's there to keep me. You did that before. Don't do that again. You know, that's what a wife is for, to help you make wise decisions. But uh, I was in business for many years, and we made this one major business decision. It was very spendy. A lot of money involved. And uh, my wife says, uh, I think... We should do it the way we've always done it. That has been successful. And what you're wanting to do now is maybe outside of what should happen. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you don't understand business. You don't understand. you got to spend money to make money. You don't understand. My wife just doesn't understand business. And I remember in signing the contract with the company, the man says to me, looked right at me and said the very same words my wife said. You know, everything you've done has been very successful. Are you sure you want to change up now and do this? And I remember thinking, that's the same thing my wife said. And I said, yep, that's what I want to do. And I signed the contract and it cost me for seven years. It cost me. And at one point in time in the circumstance, it got so bad that a, a financial advisor says, declare bankruptcy, go home, lick your wounds. And I would not do that because I did know the scripture that says a man swears or makes a promise to his own hurt, not to the loss of the other person, but to his own loss. And so I stuck with it. God saw us through and we came out okay. But... It was seven years. And I learned a lot. My decision had a huge effect on my life and on the lives of others. In that, fortunately, 
in that decision, I did never, I never came to a place of blaming God. Why didn't you tell me differently, God? Why didn't you speak to me? What's your, why did you cause this to be such a difficult time in my life? You know why? Because I'd heard the other words that said, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. And I did this anyway. So I was manning up and facing my own responsibility for my own decision. Fortunately, I didn't die in the middle of that decision and my wife be left holding the bag on that. Actually, we had a lot of life insurance. She'd have been a lot better off in the long run. Anyway, she says uh, in verse 13, the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She saw the circumstances that had been made by another that affected her as God's fault. And again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Now, let's follow this story out just a little further. Ruth goes with Naomi. She follows Naomi's instructions, and a close relative of Naomi's is harvesting his grains. And she tells Ruth, go and glean, because as a widow, you were able to glean after the harvesters went through the field. You were able to go in and, and glean the field so that you had... Uh, a means to survive. And she she would go to the edge of the fields and she would work through the harvest. She said, work th through the entire harvest. And she followed her mother-in-law's instructions. And it caught the eye of Boaz. And Boaz, it's a beautiful love story. I encourage you to finish reading it at some point in time. Boaz falls in love with Ruth and uh, from that union came Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of David. Now, Orpah went on back to her gods and became uh, a huge success in the television industry. No, that's Oprah. Orpah went back... We never hear from her in Scripture again. However, uh, a lot of Jewish teachers and in Jewish tradition teach that she never remarried. She had many men in her lives and, and different sons. And one of her sons was Goliath. That's what they teach. And later we see, down the line, these two meeting up once again. I find that an interesting little fact. Um,
Also, Boaz, as just a note, Boaz is a descendant of Rahab. How many of you remember who Rahab was? The harlot who helped Israel and hid hid the spies. So, decisions have a huge, long-lasting effect in your life. Not trusting God in the process will lead you to want to take the pen out of his hand of writing your story and write your own story. This is how it should end. This is the next chapter. And through experience, in my own experience, and probably if you look at your experience, you would say the same thing. We're in the midst of a story here in our church. You know, our church has just gone through a real... We're in the middle of a difficult time from decisions that were made. But our story is still being written. An interesting thing my daughter-in-law said, uh, our son and daughter-in-law came out for Mother's Day and, and previously for Easter. And they saw the effect that it's had on us. Our daughter-in-law made an interesting comment. She said, It amazes me at how rocked you guys have been, but the pillars are still there. And she started naming them off. Darlene, Hazel, Marianne, Sandra, Liz. She said... Vera, these people that have been there forever. I don't think Jonda was here. Maybe you were. But uh, she started naming these pillars that have seen the story being written out. Our story is not complete as a church. I find it interesting. There's been some uh, comments brought to me lately saying, you know, we won't be here in a year. We'll be shut down in a year. Um. I may not be here in a year. Who knows? But I believe God has a plan for this place. He established this place to be a church to this community, and it will continue to to be so. And God has a plan. And the story of this church is continuing to be written today. And it's important for us to be a part of that process. It's important for us to, to, to not flee the land and say, oh man, you know, um, there's some good churches around. I could recommend some right now that are really popping. You know, if, if you come up to me afterwards and say, uh, we're out, uh, I'll recommend a few to you that I think are, are good churches. But if you're a part of the story that God wants to write here, it's important that you Watch the process, be a part of the process. That wasn't a part of my message today. That's just uh, in my gut um, that that there's a story being written for you individually. There's a story being written for us as a church and as a family. And um, 
it's so important to allow God to complete the process. I believe there's a reward that comes to you if you stay in his hand and allow him to write your story. I got so far ahead of my notes, I don't even know where I'm at. Let's go down to verse... Well, in verse 16 we read, this was the deciding factor for Ruth. This was important. Ruth says, your God will be my God. She made a declaration of faith right there. It's so important when you make your declaration, you make your declaration of faith. God, you are my God, and you are writing my story. Jesus, you are my Savior. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. You can live a good life, but we're talking about eternal salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Ruth makes that decision Oprah makes a different one. It says she returns to all of her gods. How quickly we uh, can, in times of tough circumstances, immediately go back to our old way. Say you've been walking 30 years and nothing's really been working out in your life. I mean, you know, you're still alive, but you come to a point of, Receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're like, yeah, a new life. I've been given a new life, a new heart, a new way, and your circumstances are still tough. Because you're still living out some of those decisions you'd previously made. And after 30 days you go, man, I, I accepted Jesus 30 days ago. And it doesn't seem like a whole lot's changed. I think I'll just go back to the way I was. Well, if it didn't work for 30 years, why do you think it's going to work now? It's important to make your declaration of faith and to continue to press forward into the, the land that God has set before you. And in Ruth's case, she made the decision, your God will be my God. I will dwell in the land with you. Orpah made the decision to go back and return. <clears throat> Let's go down to verse 20. So they go back to the land, and she sees some of her old friends, and her old friends call her Naomi. And she says, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty made life very bitter for me. I went away full. Now listen to this. This is real important. Hear me. I went away full. No, wait a minute. Weren't you in a famine? Weren't you fleeing your circumstances? She was not. Elimelech was. But she says, I went away full, but I've come back empty. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has brought me home empty. The Lord has caused me to suffer. 
And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. I love the testimony our sister Olga gave us today. Uh, I was excited to hear that because our, our grandson is going to be starting school next semester and they're putting, in a, putting him in a Russian immersion school. And so one day I can see him doing some interpreting. The only thing I don't like about it is if we're all together in an elevator and he's speaking in Russian, I know he's talking about me. You ever, you ever think that way? You hear foreign language in an elevator, you know they're talking about you, especially if they start laughing. <clears throat> and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. But God changed her story, didn't he? She allowed him, even in the midst of bitterness, even in the midst of her own, God, why did you allow this? In the midst of that, she continued to allow God to write her story. And as I say, I encourage you to read this story of Ruth. It's a beautiful story showing the hand of God working through people's lives. Let's all stand. You know, as, as we close, I want you to think about your story. Does your story include allowing your circumstances to become your identity? You see, at that moment, Ruth was saying, my circumstances have made me bitter. We are not the product, our identity is not the product of our circumstances. Our identity is in Christ Jesus and Him alone. And if you keep your eye upon Jesus, as we said last week, if you keep your eye on the fruit instead of the giants in the land, you'll eat of the fruit of that land. So, do we have a song to close with? While they're preparing, I'd like us to bow our heads in prayer. Father, we're just so thankful that you've seen us through good times, through difficult times. But our stories are still being written. And Lord, that each one of us has an individual story that you're writing that somebody in this world will benefit from. That our stories can change someone's life. Because our stories include that Jesus, you're our Lord. We're following you. Set your heart right today to make Jesus the center of your, your life. And choose to follow him and make your declaration. I want God to be the writer of my story. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.